On this edition of the Plate Meeting, we talk with the umpire supervisor of the American Association, Ron Teague. Ron was a minor league baseball umpire for several years, began his professional umpiring career in the American Association in 2006. We'll talk to him about some of his crazy situations, his relationship with his supervisors over the years, and much, much more. That's coming up next on the Plate Meeting. We welcome you to this latest edition of The Plate Meeting right here at Close Call Sports. Our guest, Ronnie Teague, will join us in just a couple of minutes. It's T-Mac, it's Gil here with you. As always, it's time to take care of a little business. The Plate Meeting podcast is brought to you by the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout sports and competition. Among their many programs offered is Officials Anonymous, a hotline and support service for officials who suffer from abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. To learn more about OSIP, to get involved, or to donate, please visit OSIPFoundation.org. Your donation may be tax-deductible. Once again, that's OSIPFoundation.org. And Ron Teague, the uh, guest of our podcast, well, he runs... Uh, the professional umpire camp and if you're looking to become a better umpire pro umpire camp is an exciting opportunity to enhance your craft pro umpire camp provides students with 35 hours of classroom and on-field instruction of the three-man umpire system you learn from current mlib supervisors and umpires as well you'll have the opportunity to showcase your skills during live games to top independent league supervisors including the american association the atlantic league and the Can-Am League. Pro Umpire Camp runs March 3rd through the 10th in Spring, Texas. For more information, visit ProUmpireCamp.com. And Gil, the online store is always open. The online uh, store is open. We are selling our CCS gear, or if you want to make a direct donation to us, we have the link in our uh, post on the website. Make a direct donation to us either way. We appreciate very much helping to keep the website up and running and helping to keep this podcast going so we can talk to more great major, minor, and other umpires and people in the sports world for your entertainment. And let me tell you something right now. We've got some big guests coming up, but I I actually enjoy talking to the guys who didn't get all the way uh, just as much because it's, it's the journey. It's not always about the destination in terms of making it to the big leagues. It's about the journey, and uh, no better time to talk about that journey than with our guest right now, Ron Teague. For those of you not familiar with our guest on this edition of the Plate Meeting, he was an American Association umpire, independent league from 2006 to 2010. He's worked in the uh, Arizona Rookie League, the Appy League, the Midwest League, the California League, the Texas League, the Pacific Coast League, MLB Spring Training, and also currently is umpiring college baseball in the SEC, the Sun Belt, and the Southland, and any other conference starting with the letter S. Ron, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Now, to, to me and to uh, the guys who know you over the years, in full disclosure, we call you Ronnie, and uh, we worked together for a little stretch in 2007. Uh, that was about 40 pounds ago for me, uh, and you were a young 19 years old back then, and uh, wow, how time flies, huh? Yeah, uh, I, like, I, I hate to say it, but it's another 50 pounds for me as well uh, ago. Uh, I was just a skinny kid out of high school, but no, I remember that. Those were uh, a lot of good times that I had back then. So let's talk about the journey here. Um, we failed to mention you're the current umpire supervisor of the American Association, uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, you're an 18-year-old kid fresh out of high school. How did you become an umpire, and what took you to umpire school? You know, I, I didn't even know really what I, what I was doing when I first got involved. I was uh, throwing batting practice in high school, and I left my arm out over the L screen as I was throwing to a buddy who hit a line drive, and it hit my elbow and uh, put me out of commission for a while. And about a week or so later, we had a home game, and an umpire didn't show up, and they put me and one of the visiting kids out on the, uh, out on the field. And I started umpiring, and it just so happened that the umpire behind home plate, his name was Dick Fenton, uh, out of Newkirk, Oklahoma, and he was one of the most eccentric guys. Every call that he made was loud. It was like he was putting on his own personal show. I mean, you you knew he was on the field, 
And uh, after working that game, he pulled me aside and asked me what I was doing for the summer. And I didn't have any plans and didn't have a summer job. And he got me in, uh, involved in the Little League stuff up in uh, Ponca City, Oklahoma. And uh, that's how I got started. Uh, started working Little League games. Uh, did that for my junior, senior year. And then uh, I wanted to go to pro school. But my parents really wanted me to try college first. So I enrolled at a junior college. Um, needless to say, right off the bat, I was not. From what you know about me, I'm not much for being into, into class. And uh, I dropped upon request. I uh, was able to get the tuition money back. Uh, but I had to do that for a couple of summers uh, before my parents actually caught on. <laughs> and my name is the same as my dad's name. So when they were writing those tuition checks, it was coming right back to Ron T. So uh, after about two semesters of failed college, I told him, I was like, listen, I hadn't been going to class. Uh, what My heart wasn't in it. I want to go to umpire school. So uh, the money that I saved on, you know, instead of wasting tuition, I took and took to umpire school and went in 2006 and then got into independent baseball. So let's talk so, a little bit about that for a second. In 2006, you, you get hooked up with the American Association. This mm-hmm. is, um, be- is this before – the, that puck had officially started or did you get in through uh, the pro umpire camp? Uh, I think this was, yeah, this was the start of it. Uh, I think I was in the first class, but it, back then it, it, there wasn't so much instructional as it was tryouts. Um, and I was trying out with the players that were actually trying out to make teams. <laughs> and I believe it was me and about four or five other umpires. And uh, I had just gotten out of pro school. Uh, I didn't make it. I was told about this tryout camp. I had talked to Kevin I went down to it, um, and needless to say, I, I mean, I forgot my uniform. I forgot a lot of things. I was out there looking so terrible. And my very first call, I happened to blow in front of everybody. Um, couldn't believe that I ever got picked up out of that camp. But uh, <laughs> looking back on it now, uh, it was a blessing in disguise making that mistake. Yeah, having, having uh, gone to one of those camps, those were a lot of fun. You had about 20 umpires. Uh, drinking adult sodas and uh, hanging out, although you weren't at the time because you were only 18. Uh, Correct. But uh, those camps, it's a camaraderie-based deal. That's the way that uh, the American Association, Can-Am League, uh, the old Central League, the old Northern League, all the old-school indie leagues have always been with the umpires, just full of camaraderie and stories and uh, some crazy plays. So you're an 18-year-old kid. Were you taken seriously as an independent league umpire? No. No, uh, my first year, I don't think that anybody believed anything I said or did. I mean, I had a ton of objections. Uh, I was trying to handle my own. I don't know how I made it through the season, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, there, I know there was a little bit of turnover, as there often are, you know, in, in independent leagues. Uh, sometimes guys are leaving to go home. They find, you know, regular careers, you know, that are year-round. And I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time. And uh, by the end of the season, I was full-time. And I think I was even a crew chief, actually, my first year for the last couple of weeks. Um, and I believe I worked the postseason that year. There was enough turnover to go around. So it wasn't like I earned anything. I was just in the right spot at the right time and just kept chugging along. That story of my career. I, I, I seem to remember in your first plate job, you broke your finger. Do you, do you uh, yeah. So your first professional yeah. plate job, you broke your finger in St. Joe, Missouri, correct? Correct. Yep. Uh, had it resting right on the knee. I think it was about the third inning. A foul tip went right into it. Broke my finger, my left ring finger. And uh, later on, did, didn't you take – was it the same game or was it a different game that you took a ball to the throat? You were wearing back then – a lot of people know that you wear the bucket, but they didn't realize back then you were wearing the traditional mask, and you took a ball to the throat that year, didn't you? I did, yeah. I took a uh, ball that bounced in the ground. I didn't have a throat guard on. Came up, hit me in the throat, knocked the wind out of me. Uh, it, it was a rough, uh, rough, rough game. You lost your, <laughs> you lost your voice, which didn't bother anybody. But you know, it was still. Did you? They think weren't maybe, listening to me anyway. So, <laughs> did you think maybe this wasn't going to be for me? Uh, yeah. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, with every mistake that you make out there, I think that crosses your mind. But early on, that first game when I was uh, getting beat up pretty good, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts running through me, but. I was so excited just to be out on a professional ball field and, and, uh, and, and to be pursuing my dream at the time that, uh, you know, I wouldn't have traded it for, for anything. It, it was a good time. But you definitely have those thoughts of, man, what did I get myself into when stuff like that starts happening? One of the great things about the independent leagues back when, when you started, when I started in them, and for me, back in 2002, was the supervisors let you work. They let you go out there, learn your craft, and, and be honest, screw up. You know, we messed up a lot. Mm-hmm. 
how awesome was it to have a boss like Kevin Wynn who kept putting you out there no matter how bad you were and let you grow and become the umpire you are now? Oh, man. You know, my whole career, I basically, I owe to Kevin Wynn. I mean, he could he had many reasons to not stick with a young green kid that didn't really know what he was doing, but he did. He saw something in me and, uh, and it stuck with me. And I stayed in independent ball for four and a half years, but you're right, you know. But, you know, at the same time, it, it went with the guys that Kevin Wynn employed. I mean, when I was going through – you know, they didn't have full-time three-man crews yet, so you traveled from city to city with, you know, your crew chief, and then you picked up a, a fill-in or a local umpire, if you will. And most of those guys were ex-AA or ex-AAA umpires. And then not only that, the crew chiefs that I were with, you know, some of those were ex-AA, AAA umpires. And some of those were long-time Division One umpires, and some of those have been doing independent ball for a long time. So there was a lot of experience to bring up a, uh, to bring up a young kid like me. And uh, one of the reasons I stayed for as long as I did before going back to umpire school was you don't just grow – as an umpire, but you have to, you have to grow as an adult and you have to mature. And I was not mature off the field. Uh, had I attempted to go back to school um, within a couple of years after I started independent ball, I don't think there was going to be a chance that I would have lasted. I would have been released. I just wasn't a, a very mature kid at the time, but luckily, you know, Kevin stuck with me, let me grow as not only an umpire, but as a man. And it helped me, you know, chase my dreams to the big leagues. Uh, and the people that sometimes you get with locals that, they just know the city really well. I remember the great Vic Maldonado in El Paso. He'd take you to all the great places. And there are, there are guys around each city that they may not have been former minor league guys, but they had great, interesting careers, and they could tell you where to go in a city. And, man, those are, some, those are some fun times. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we worked with retired ATF agents, police officers. I mean, attorneys, those guys were from all walks of life, you know, when you went in there. You know, it wasn't always next to AA, AAA umpire. You're right. You know, it was – guys had full-time careers and interesting careers and it, it was a lot of fun and it's always nice to know a local guy that you know could tell you where to go for a good meal and stuff like that because I, I didn't know where I where was I going to go grab a sandwich at St. Joe I didn't even want to leave my hotel room I was so scared as a 19 year old kid out on the road so Saint yeah Joe that, was, that was definitely very nice was that that was like an Appy League town man that, there was you know there was it's a very interesting place St. Joe I remember that nothing was open after 10 o'clock. It was like a throwback. You couldn't, you could, where could you eat after 10 o'clock in St. Joe, Missouri? Well, I don't know, Tim, you know, I was 19 years old. I, I didn't discover the after 10 PM life until a little bit later on in my life. <laughs> well, we're not, we're going to say that for another podcast. That'll be the, uh, the R rated version, which we probably won't record, but let's get to uh, your, your journey back. You spend those four and a half years in the American association. You decide to go back to umpire school you, go, you graduate from the, the Jim Evans Academy in 2010 with honors. You get mm-hmm. sent – was I think it was Peabuck still at the time. You get a job yeah. out of Peabuck, and you get sent to the Arizona Rookie League. Discuss with our oh. listeners, because we're going to talk later about the school you run, the, the pro umpire camp, um, about not making it, having an opportunity to work somewhere, and then fulfilling your dream of getting into affiliated baseball. Well, you know, actually, when I got when I went back in 2010 and graduated with honors, and went to Peabuck, I actually was not told yes. Uh, I was reserve listed out of the evaluation course. Um, I was not in the best of shape. I was slower than most of the guys that were there. I didn't have the endurance, and it, and it was evident. And it's something I kind of picked up on. Yeah, I, I knew the two man system and I knew the rules, but I was really lagging in endurance and and uh, and agility. So uh, I was actually told no, and you know, it was kind of you know really bummed because, uh, you know, there's a lot of anticipation leading up to that point. But uh, within, a, you know, 10, 12 days, you know, I guess after, uh, I don't know if it was guys that were resigning or, or moves were being made, but I was fortunate enough to receive an email and uh, it was a contract to the Arizona League. I was very excited, um, immediately went to work on trying to lose weight, get in better shape. And that's kind of how that started. Uh, that, that's, how, uh, that's how my uh, experience on the evaluation course went. And then I went to the Arizona Rookie League, and like you said, the Appalachian League from there. Uh, went to the Midwest for half a season, went to the Cal for about a year and a half, I think, or a total of a year, second half and a first half. And then Texas League and Pacific Coast League with uh, extended in there, an Arizona Fall League, a couple of big league springs, and the Dominican Winter League. Slow down, because we got to get to 2013 when you were the whole plate umpire and one of the most famous incidents heard around the world when you were a uh, uh, a double-A umpire in the Texas League working the plate, and uh, you had a one-pitch strikeout. We'll put the video on the site. We'll remind everybody of, of what it was. And take me through this uh, this play that went viral over Deadspin, ESPN, just about everywhere, of a guy that uh, only had one strike called and ended up having to sit down and obviously uh, was ejected. <laughs> 
Well, I think we can both agree that uh, after watching video, whether it was a strike or not, is pretty debatable. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's funny. When you're in the heat of the moment, you don't really think about I know one of the things that I was criticized a lot for was the time that went down. But as anybody who's been in a situation like that, uh, that's the last thing you're thinking about. You're just trying to make sure you're going through the proper protocol, trying to defuse the situation, trying to do the right thing. And, and you just kind of get caught up in the moment. If you would have asked me, Right after it happened, how much time I gave him, I probably would have told you 30 seconds, you know. And then you go back and you look at the video and you think, man, you know, it really wasn't that long. But there were some things that kind of sped up the process with things that were said um, throughout that and the refusal to get back in the box. And uh, <laughs> I did what I did. Um, I, I was when I when the game was over, you know, I didn't think twice of it. And then I wake up the next morning and, you know, you see your phone. Look on ESPN, look at this, look at that. You got text messages from people you haven't even heard of in five, six years. And I was, I was kind of shocked, to be honest, with, uh, with, with a double-A game getting that much uh, uh, exposure, I guess you could say. Well, one of the reasons it got so much exposure is Gil put it up on the site. So here's your <laughs> chance uh, yeah, you know, uh, to rip on Gil for a second. Because, I mean, <laughs> handily, Gil, you made Ron Teague famous. I mean, you put three of his plays up there for crying out loud. That's never my intent. Uh, I think that was actually my introduction to close call sports. <laughs> so everybody's like, have you not seen the article in close call sports? And I was like, what is that? But I got to tell you, Gil, ever since then, I'm a daily checker of the site. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it's two years later, you were uh, in the Texas League again. And uh, you have your Joe Mikulik story. I don't know how many Joe Mikulik stories, but you, I know you have at least one. And this involves a play uh, that I'm still amazed. I got to be honest with you, Ronnie. Um, I'm still amazed that your base umpires could not help you out on this play. Because, and I don't know what was engaged in the conversation. Maybe it became a teachable moment. Maybe not everybody was engaged looking at the right thing. But there was a ground ball, if I remember correctly, to the first baseman. And there was a tag play at the plate. And the catcher never really had possession of the ball in his glove. It it deflected off and it was on the ground and then traveled in front of him. Take me through, not necessarily the the out call, because you don't need to be have eyesight to be able to see that there wasn't an out call. But what the conversation was like in the huddle, you were the crew chief on this crew with Clayton Ham and Clay Park, and why the call wasn't changed and what was going to happen later might, you know, you were, you were a Futures League umpire. Did that have any aspect of guys not wanting to flip your call here? Uh, you know, first of all, let me just say this. That call was mine and mine alone, and it's a call that, if I just do a simple basic of check for firm and secure possession, that call never gets missed, and it's not something that I did. So as much as, you know, guys want to say, well, how come these guys didn't do this or they didn't do that, uh, those guys should – it's not their responsibility to do my job. Um, I really wish – you know, I felt – of anybody that I felt bad for, I felt bad that because I couldn't do something basic that they got put into a situation like that because those are two really good guys. They're good friends of mine. And they didn't deserve all that exposure because of something that I couldn't do that was very basic. Um, I remember the play as if it was yesterday. You know, it kept me up for a couple of nights because the worst part about this was that was the last day of the series, and then we had to drive from Midland, Texas to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when you're coming out of Midland, there's a good stretch for a few hours where, you know, you don't have cell phone service. And sure enough, as soon as you get it, there's the calls. There's the supervisors calling. There's, you know, other umpires calling. There's all kinds of things happening. And it's already out there. But, um, Basically, I mean, I, the, the play happened. I was prepared. I thought, felt I was in a good position. Uh, Mikulik was at third base, and I remember him yelling something about obstruction, and it kind of just made me think, like, there's no obstruction. The guy can slide into home plate. And uh, I never went back to look to see if the catcher had the ball. And by the time I looked, he was, had already picked it up off the ground, and uh, I had stayed with the call. And I think that the, I'm not going to get into too much of what was said during the conversation, but I think that if I had to do it over again, I would have went to them and just said, what do you have? instead of explaining what I had had. Uh, I think maybe because I did a little bit too much talking in that, it might have influenced maybe what they had saw, what they were thinking that had happened. So the sole responsibility will, uh, comes on my shoulders. And it was, it was not a good feeling, but it wasn't because of me. It wasn't the first mistake I made, and it sure as heck wasn't the last mistake I made on the field. But you never want to put your crew in a position to where a mistake like that falls upon them. So, I mean, that was the worst part of that whole situation. This is a good – teachable moment we can talk about when 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 how would you suggest now as supervisor when Mm -hmm. guys are getting together and talking 
Um, how is the guy getting together? Would you approach the other guys so as to not influence their calls, especially like you were in this situation, you were the crew chief. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you had the resume at this point and, and, you know, being there for a few years, what, how do you try to get the most out of this play from your, from everybody involved? Well, I mean, honestly, I think it's just pretty simple. I would have went straight to Clayton Ham, who, you know, was the first year double empire and said, what do you have? I would have asked Clay Park what he had, and then I would have gone off of that. I think I did a little bit too much of this is what I had, this is what I saw. And I don't know, maybe maybe I was worried I was wrong in the back of my mind and was trying to convince them that this happened. I, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not really sure, but I know for a fact I did too much talking in that, and I should have probably listened a little bit more or uh, at least had asked them right off the bat what they had instead of telling them what I had first. Uh, but, you know, it was a teachable moment for me. Absolutely. Uh, I think that they learned from my mistake, you know, because they both went on to be crew chiefs, uh, not only in AA, but I think uh, I think Clay Park had a run in AAA last year. And it wouldn't surprise me if Clayton Ham was a trip, uh, AAA crew chief this year. But uh, I think you just go to, you know, the three man or the four man, whatever it is, go go to the guy that's uh, the low man on the pole and ask him first and then just work your way up from there and then have a discussion at the end of that. From there, you you, you already had the assignment of working the futures game. Um, this is the, you know, this is the prestigious assignment for a double a umpire. Um, Correct. you got the futures game that had to, uh, had to be a big deal. Oh, it, I mean, it was terrible because I was told that day. Um, I remember, I think, I think we were taking clay park to Cavenders, uh, in Midland to buy him his first pair of boots. And I got the phone call and, uh, <laughs> and we were all pretty excited. You know, I was very excited. And then that happens. And I mean, and then you think about the people that select you and, and, you know, you let them down, you know, now obviously one call should not dictate somebody's career. It doesn't, you know, tell them the kind of umpire it is, but this was a pretty blatant mistake on my end. And you just feel bad for all the people that, you know, went out and, and gave you this assignment and you feel like you let them down. And in a lot of ways I feel that I did, but uh, again, one call does not dictate your season. It doesn't dictate your career, but yeah, it was not a good feeling. And the worst part too was, you know, after that you want to get back out on the field and you want to try to, you know, call a good game, redeem yourself. But we were rained out for the next couple of days. That was the hardest thing. We were just sitting there and we were just, you know, telling the guys, don't read any of the articles. Don't look at this. Don't do that. You know, this is on me. Don't take any calls. Don't explain anything. I'll handle it because, again, it was my responsibility. And they didn't let me down. I let them down on that particular play. And around the same time, Ron, you found out that you got promoted to AAA. I think it was the time this happened (laughs) and the Futures game. You got promoted to AAA, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you know, what a poster play for somebody who's getting a future game and going to triple play or AAA. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a day of good news. and then, But it, it just goes to show you, you're one pitch away from being humbled. Tell um, me about I don't it. believe that I went out there after finding out any of that information being any different or anything like that. But it just goes to show you, don't ever let your highs get too high, but don't let your lows get too low. How awesome was it to work the plate in the Futures game in uh... – that was 2015 in Cincinnati, right? Uh, 14 or 15, yeah, in Cincinnati. Uh, I'd have to check the year. But I'll tell you what, you know, as no power, you're not the only one going through it. Your friends and your family and people that are close to you go through it. So I think just to be able to look from after the plate meeting was over, just to be able to look up in the stands and see my parents, I mean, that made my entire minor league career worth it. Uh, they, they got to be a part of something very special, the home run derby, the Futures game, and all the the activities, and uh, I think that was probably the best part, just to see, you know, mom and dad up in the stands and looking down from from uh, that plate meeting. That was pretty cool. That's something I won't forget. Did you get to stick around for the All-Star game that year? We did. We did. We stuck around. Uh, I, I had a lot of family there. I had my mom, dad, aunt, and uncle, a couple of cousins, and, and their significant others there. Uh, it was – we stuck around. It was quiet. It was, it was something special. It, it's something you don't ever forget. I'll tell you that. And did you have any – the crew that year in the All-Star game uh, was Tim Welke, Jerry Meals, Paul Schreiber, Ron Culpa, James Foy, Alan Porter. Do you have any interaction with those guys? Uh, I said hello. I always tried not to – man, Major League umpires, everywhere they go, they're, they're recognizable. People know who they are, and they carry themselves very well. And I always tried not to bother them too much, you know. So I, I said hello and introduced myself. But for the most part, I tried to stay out of their way. They got a lot going on. They had their families in town, so – you try to let them enjoy that moment, too, because getting an MLB All-Star game is pretty, is pretty cool and a, and a great accomplishment as well. The following year, you're in AAA, and uh, another uh, Gill special finding the minor league ejection uh, with Reno Aces pitcher Archie Bradley and manager Phil Nevin. I didn't recognize Archie Bradley because I don't think he's shaved since this game. 
two aces for the price of one. You had you had two aces in the hole, as we say in poker. Uh, we'll show the video on the site, refresh everybody's memory. But uh, oh, geez, like two first inning injections to get your day going. Yeah, no, I mean, again, you know, it's never as bad as it looks and stuff like that. Uh, Phil, Phil was a manager that you could go back and forth with a little bit, you know. Um, I had a good relationship with him, a good rapport. Uh, I honestly had no clue that it was Archie Bradley on the mound, if you want full disclosure on that. Uh, I just saw a last name Bradley on the card and went with it. Uh, it was a rocky first inning. He was frustrated. Uh, I think he picked his moment to go, and that was that, and then Phil went with him. So it, it was it – was, Nothing more than that, in my opinion. So as the career winds down, you I should say it's winding down at this point. You end up working uh, in the DR in 2014. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, one you'll never forget. People try to prepare you for it, but you never quite know until you get there. Uh, I, was, I believe I was working opening day down there with Trip Gibson. And the game's at 7.05, but for some reason we're getting picked up at the hotel, I think, at like 12.15. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you know, what, what's going on? And they pick you up, and uh, your driver doesn't really speak a lot of English, and you're trying to communicate. And all of a sudden you're just driving on the road, and all of a sudden you just stop, and some random person gets in with a briefcase and gets in the van and shuts the door and, you know, says hello and then turns back around. And I just looked at Trip. I was like, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> and it turns out that was the scorekeeper. And you drive around the town and you pick up the umpires at different bus stops, different locations of town, you know, because they, they don't, I, they're trying to hide who they are. They don't want people to know, recognize them and stuff like that. But that, that first day was, was something really, really different, something I won't forget. I mean, and then, of course, once the game's over and you're driving back to the hotel, you're dropping them off in just the middle of the street in random places. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, what are we doing? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was quite the eye-opener. Was that the routine every day? You'd get you you your day would start at like twelve o'clock to get to a game at seven. Uh, if you were going up the mountain towards uh, San Francisco de Macorís or Santiago, uh, twelve fifteen, one fifteen, somewhere in there, uh, you're going up the mountain. You stop and you have coffee. Then you go a little bit further up. You stop and you have lunch. You go a little further up. You stop and you get empanadas. Then you head your way to the stadium. You're getting there probably about an hour in advance. Sometimes a little within. Um, and then it's basically the same thing on the way down. You stop at little local places, and uh, you might grab a jumbo Presidente beer, uh, have one there at the Colmada, jump back in, and head down to your hotel. It, it, it was a whole day. There wasn't a lot of time at the hotel. You get MLB spring training in 2017. You, you're on the right path at this point. It, there's all the uh, signs point to a, a really good future in 2017. Um what was working MLB uh, spring in 17 for you? Uh, it made the whole journey worth it. Uh, it. It was really cool. I got to work with Joe West. I got to work with Hunter. I got to work with a lot of guys, Vic Carapaza. Uh, just picking their brains, hearing what they have to say, listening to their stories. Uh, and not only that, you know, there's other AAA guys that you've come up with through your career that got to work games with you or guys that have been on your spring training crew. When you have two minor league guys on the field, it was uh, – it, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, <laughs> I, you're not, I'm ner- I was nervous before every game, you know, wanted to make a good impression, wanted to, wanted to do a good job. I uh, was able to get my parents out for that as well and, and some family members out for that. Uh, my, my now fiancé was out there for that. Uh, when, you, when, when you get special assignments like that, not everybody gets them. So you, I wanted to share it with them and, and people that have gone through the journey with me, and, and it was a pretty cool experience. And as you're doing this, you were the uh, chief instructor in uh, Vero Beach for the Minor League Baseball Umpire Academy 2016 and 2017, and you also were teaching there 2013, 20 through 2015, although you took a year off to work in the Dominican Republic. How did you get hooked up with uh, the Minor League Baseball Umpire Academy? Uh, I believe I put in for it, and Justin Klim had called me and, uh, and had asked me if I wanted to come on board, and I said, absolutely. I mean, teaching umpire school is, is absolutely incredible. You get to see guys that come in that, you know, some of them think they know what they're doing or think they have experience because they've been working Little League or high school or whatever for a long time. They think they know the rules, and then they get this wow factor. The first couple of days really shock guys. And you see everybody just kind of come down to an even playing field, and everybody's kind of on the same level, and then you get to watch each and every one of them grow as an umpire. Some of them will grow faster than others. Some of them, you know, a little bit slower, but everybody's getting better one day at a time. And the camaraderie with the staff and with the supervisors and everything, it's – it's a very, very, very fun experience. It's a time of the year I always look forward to. Um, it's honestly, 
I miss that part. Uh, now that I'm out, I, I do miss teaching at Empire School probably more than anything. It's, it's a really good time, and, it, and I love helping umpires get better. So that was, uh, that was my be- probably my favorite time of the year, to be honest with you. Amen, brother. Let's talk a little bit about the, the end of your minor league career. kind of came sudden. I know it uh, was a bit of a surprise. You're offered MLB, uh, MLB Spring Training 2018, but you decided to take a different path. What happened? Why did you decide to hang it up? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I mean, I was excited to uh, to be a husband and, and to start a family and, and be at home. I've been on the road since I was 19 years old, um, and I always said that if you know you ever walk out on the field and it's not as fun as it was from day one, you might want to think about walking away. And I still love umpiring. I still like getting out on the field in college, but to be gone that long and to go through the grind, I just wasn't ready to do it anymore. Um, it was something that my fiance Colette and I had been talking about for a couple months leading up to the call to be invited. And when I got the call and as I was talking, I was just, I decided to resign. And that was that. Um, no regrets. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to look forward to the next chapter of my life. I had fun. I did. I accomplished basically everything that I wanted to accomplish. The ultimate goal obviously is to get a contract in the big leagues, but that didn't happen, but there's, there's no regrets. I mean, if you think about everything that where you've been, where you've gone, the people that you've met, the places you've ate at, the places you might have had an adult beverage at, um, it's, it's really cool. And not a lot of people get to do that in their lives. So I have zero regrets uh, in hanging it up. And, and I'm very happy and content with what I'm doing right now. And I have an opportunity to still help umpires get better. I'm still out on the field in, in the college circuit on the weekends. So things are going just how I wanted them to go. You know? and, and there's a little bit more control in your life, too, when you step away. You, know? you don't have to leave. You can kind of make some decisions for yourself. And, and I like that. In 2018, it all ended where it began for you. You got to finish out your career working in the American Association. What was it like to come back to the league that uh, gave you uh, an opportunity to work? To be honest with you, I was a little bit nervous. Um, independent baseball, it, it's got a special place in my heart because uh, that's where I got my start. And, uh, and I came back and I worked for Kevin, uh, which was pretty cool as well. And not only that, I got to take a couple of rookie umpires on the road with me and, and uh, that, hadn't, that had just gotten to school that had fallen a little bit short and wanted to go back to umpire school. So I took them out for a 100-game season. Um, it was fun watching those guys experience the road for the first time, uh, to see them make the same mistakes that I made at their age or at that point in my umpiring career, to walk them through it, to be able to tell them, you know, what, to know exactly what to tell them you know, after they made those mistakes to stop them from feeling down. It, it, it was fun. It was probably one of the more fun summers I'd had. Longtime American Association supervisor, the only full-time supervisor of the American Association had ever known Kevin Wynn, resigns, uh, and the new umpire supervisor of the AA, you're listening to him. And it's not me, it's Ronnie P. So first of all, congratulations. How did this all come to be? Uh, you know, I had heard, you know, that Kevin was looking at, at winding down and I wasn't really familiar with the landscape of the American Association. And I knew that it was public knowledge that he was stepping down and there was a lot of good umpires, and a lot of good uh, uh, people that put in for the job. So I'm very, very shocked, but excited that I got it. Um, Cause it could have went to literally any of those guys that, that had put in for it. But uh, Kevin had stepped down. Um, and at the end of the season, after the championship, uh, I had a couple of phone calls with the executive director, Josh Buckholz, and uh, on October 1st, uh, he named me as the, uh, as the supervisor. And I couldn't be more happy. It, it, it's kind of exactly what I was looking for. So there's been some controversies in the American Association last year. Um, oftentimes, it seems as though uh, teams are putting uh, uh, stuff out there to make umpires look bad, and uh, it hasn't always been uh, – the greatest uh, place for umpires to be uh, last year. And, you know, Gil has featured several things on our website uh, about uh, the American Association. And it just seemed like last year there was one every other day, including one, if I remember, Ron, of you handling a, uh, uh, a situation with uh, De La Cruz uh, very well uh, on the field uh, that we put on the site. Um, talk about, you know, taking over a league that seemed like it was, you know, struggling in terms of behavior last year. Well, I think sometimes that we have to realize that perception is not reality. Um, I mean, think about it. Before all there was social media and all these different sites, stuff like this happened all the time. And it was really not, it didn't get the exposure that it gets now. Um, 
I think a lot of things happen in the heat of the moment, um, but I don't think this is any different than what than what happens in other leagues. Uh, the American Association is a very good league. It's one that I'm very proud to now be the director of umpires of. Um, I think that you know, umpire. Too many people get stuck with worrying about what people think on the outside that aren't really a part of it. Um, I don't think anything's ever as bad as it really looks, and I certainly did in that situation. I know, you know, bench clearings are never pleasant. I'm not trying to say that fights aren't bad or anything like that. But uh, I, I don't think that it, it gave a negative light to the American Association in the extreme manner that people think. I think that it was just a situation that, uh, that happened. It was handled, and, and they're moving on from it. That's all. Speak, if you could, for a second about the transition to college baseball. A lot of uh, guys tell me that it, this is so tough. It's so hard to come out of um, – high-level affiliated baseball, like go to professional baseball. Well, this is a great opportunity. I mean, you were, you were thrust into the SEC. You're working the Sun Belt, the Southland, um, for multiple assigners. Has this been a hard transition for you? Or, you know, I'd imagine you're pretty laid back now. It's probably not a difficult transition at all. But uh, talk about the difference between high-level professional baseball and the college ranks and the D1s at a high level. Well, I think that, you know, minor league baseball, a lot of it is player development. Where, as in NCAA, you know, these teams want to win. They want to win every single day, every single game. Uh, they live and die on every single pitch, every single play. I mean, and, and that's great. You know, they're young kids. They're young men. That's what they should be doing. Uh, I was kind of fortunate enough that I was working college games and college series before I would ever report to spring training or to an assignment. I would take the couple weekends that I could before I had to report. So I was kind of a little bit well-versed in that. And not only that, with Mike Fagan down here in the south of the SWAC and along with Clint Fagan, uh, we would teach clinics, and we would get very much involved, and we would meet athletic directors and interact with coaches. And I kind of had an idea what the life was like. But I think, uh, I think it's all a mentality thing. I mean, if you just go out there and you love your job and you love umpiring, uh, I think the transition's easy. I think if you go out there and if you're upset with how your career in umpiring has gone or anything like that, it can lead to a tough transition. But for the most part, I think most guys handle it pretty well. Ronnie, you mentioned that, you know, you, you – you get a distinct joy out of teaching. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the, re- the reasons that close call sports and uh, the pro umpire camp have uh, started this relationship together and are getting along so well. Uh, Cause that's certainly our passion here at uh, CCS, but you are the owner of uh, the, the pro umpire camp. Tell uh, our listeners a little bit about, you know, what you guys do. Well, pro umpire camp uh, really, what, what the emphasis has been is taking the kids that go to umpire school and just miss out, bringing them in, trying to locate them in, in college wooden bat leagues. And, of course, the independent leagues, the American Association, can and Atlantic, we have been the staples of this camp for quite some time now. Um, and, and we want to get them an experience. We want to work on their deficiencies on why they missed out, get them, get them all caught up to speed and send them back to school and put them in minor league baseball so they can continue to pursue their dreams. And then here lately – We've kind of taken a different path, uh, but it, with the same mission, and it's helping umpires and not really putting an emphasis on anything. We'd like to help the guys get back into umpire school, get into affiliate baseball, but also this is a great league with great pay to where if guys are getting released out of double A, out of triple A, and they don't have something, come on in, and if you're willing to go back out in the summer and your mind's right, come back out here and, and make some money and, and help yourself and enjoy some more professional baseball and, uh, and support yourself while you're trying to figure out your next move. But also, we like to take guys that maybe are just missing out on getting full co- full-time conferences as college or, or trying to get, you know, more experience and more repetition so they can break into a college tournament. We like getting those guys out to the camp, getting them some repetition, and maybe getting them some work, extra work for the summer so that they can get more repetition and be ready to go for the following season. Uh, Kevin Wynn's done a great job uh, in, in selecting guys out of this camp, and all the leagues really have. Uh, we, we always are switching leagues. Certain leagues will come, they'll go, they'll come back. But the Atlantic League, the Can-Am, and the American Association have always hired out of this camp, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, it, it's been held in many locations, but here for the last four or five years, it's been here in Houston. Uh, I've got great facilities. I've been able to, uh, to get a lot of games on the weekends after they're done with classroom. I mean, it's basically ran just like, uh, just like umpire school. You're in the classroom from 8 to 12, 12 to 1, you get lunch, and then 1 to 5, you're doing drills. Uh, on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you're working live games, and you have uh, on-field instruction. My guys are out there on the field with you. They're up in press boxes, watching, videotaping, working with you, talking to you in between pitches sometimes, in between innings, um, in between plays, just whatever we can do whenever we have a message to deliver. Uh, I think the program's been going in the right direction, and I'm very glad that uh, that close call and us have been able to uh, form a relationship here recently. Ronnie, you had mentioned that the supervisors uh, of the AA, the Atlantic League, and uh, the Can-Am League will be there. 
Will any other uh, evaluators either at the college level uh, be there? Will there be any uh, Major League Baseball umpires, any that we might know about uh, that you can release to us? Uh, as of right now, I could tell you that Paul Guillier from the SEC will be stopping in for a couple of days early on. Uh, every year, Mike Fagan pops in from time to time uh, to say hello and occasionally catch some games. Um, those two right now, I can tell you for sure, will be there. The Atlantic League will be there, as you said, the Can-Am and the American Association. And the staff is still being put together. I have it down uh, pretty good, but I'm still waiting to hear some, uh, some final answers from guys, and then I'll publish my staff on our website uh, here in the coming weeks. Soon, someday, uh, somebody will take my job, Rock. Somebody is going to take my job in the Can-Am League. That's the Pro Umpire Camp, March 3rd through uh, 10th. Uh, officially, it's Spring, Texas, but uh, yeah. you can call it, call it Houston. When we come back, we're going to have a very special guest join us. Uh, that after this minute and a half, you're listening to The Plate Meeting right here at Close Call Sports. Hi, this is Jack Furlong, founder, president, and CEO of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout all capacities of sports and competition. Please be sure to check out our website at osipfoundation.org to learn about us and some of our programs, such as our blog, The Strike Zone, our podcast, How You Play the Game, our awards programs for student-athletes, and Officials Anonymous, our hotline for sports officials who deal with abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. Once again, that's OSIP Foundation. If you're looking to become a better umpire, Pro Umpire Camp is an exciting opportunity to enhance your craft. Pro Umpire Camp provides students with 35 hours of classroom and on-field instruction of the three-umpire system. You'll learn from current MILB umpires and supervisors. You will have the opportunity to showcase your skills during live games to top independent league supervisors, including the American Association the Atlantic League, and the Can-Am League. Pro Umpire Camp, March 3rd to the 10th in Spring, Texas. For more information, visit www.proumpirecamp.com. One more time, that's www.proumpirecamp.com. We welcome you back to the plate meeting here at Close Call Sports. It's Tim, it's Gil, it's Ron, and joining us now is the longtime umpire supervisor of the Central League starting in 2001, morphing over to the American Association until just this last year, and the Can-Am League and so much more, is my boss in baseball for so many years, Kevin Wynn. K-Dub, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, It's good to be with you. Great program. I I appreciate that. Do you remember the first time you met uh, Ron Teague? Yeah, I actually do remember the first time that I met him, Tim. Um, 2006, uh, umpire school down in Orlando in Kissimmee at the Evans School. I don't believe I actually met him on campus, um, but I got a call shortly after school ended from Chris Hubler, and he said that they had a guy that they would really like to to put in my league and and um, you know see if, uh, if we could do any good with him. He was a young guy; he was only 19 at the time. And uh, so I invited him up to Fort Worth uh, to a camp and uh, over there at um, the the ballpark there in Fort Worth, the Grave Field. And so we had him out working a uh, – uh, basically it was a, a, tri- a league tryout, and we ran an umpire tryout around it. And uh, so they kept a bunch of players, former minor league players, behind to play in a game. And we started Ron off at third base. And I remember that he looked kind of odd because – he didn't have his shoes. He forgot his shoes at home. Um, he had to borrow Kate Sargent's belt. Kate Sargent was also at this tryout, and and uh, so he he forgot his belt. And I believe he had to borrow somebody's shirt. He forgot most of his stuff at home. So once we got past that, literally the first batter of the game hits a ball down the left field line. It's a fair foul decision. It's definitely going to leave the park, and. Tim, you remember Fort Worth? Of they had a, yeah, they had off the foul pole because they had that kids area behind there. They had a net that ran from the foul pole to the grandstand. Well, this ball landed probably about 20 feet up the net, right in the middle of the net, so right over the Fort Worth bullpen. So it was fouled by about 15 feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's my man Ron pumping that ball fair and calling it a home run. <laughs> and you said, and I that's thought, my guy. 
and it's my guy right there. I can do something with this guy. You know, when I answered that question earlier, I just said I missed my first call. I didn't really go on to too much depth. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, that's when I met Ron, and, and uh, you know, we had a good, good, uh, good meeting that day and, and, and at the camp. And, and you know, ultimately it came down to I, I didn't have a full-time spot for him. Ron, uh, Ron had an offer from a very successful college wooden bat league, um, that they were going to give him a full-time job. And, uh, um, I could only offer him 15 games at the start. And I told him, you know, look, this could work into something full-time. And, and so I told him that, Ron, you remember what I told you, what you should do? Uh, I just think you told me to call Chris Hubler and ask his advice and go with what he told me. And he told me to go with you. And I went, and I went with it and I ran. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Chris told him basically take the 15 games with him because it's better baseball. Um, and that's what you need right now. You need to see the best baseball that you can see. And ultimately it turned in very quickly, uh, into a full-time position because we had some guys leave and I think we had a guy get called up to the minor leagues and, and, uh, um, this was back before they had to make the stop off in the coastal plain league. You know, we used to lose guys right to minor league baseball back in those days. So, that was it. I've known Ron for, you know, thir- going on 13 years now. He- he's been like a son to me. Um, I'm very close with him and his family, and I was very pleased that he was named American Association Supervisor when I decided to step away. I can tell you, Tim, he beat out some good friends of ours like Joey Stegner and, and-, and uh, uh, Mike Jarbo. They both were in the running, and it was very competitive. But at the end of the day, the league decided to go with Ron, and, you know, I think it was, I would think it was a good decision. So. Now, we had talked earlier with Ronnie about how he broke his finger and got hit in the throat in his first play <laughs> job. And, but you remembered a story of uh, when he was in El Paso in 2008. It's kind of a horrific story, but why not tell us about it? So, yeah, I, I was living in North Carolina at the time. As, as you know, my wife's a, a colonel in the Air Force, so we move around quite a bit. We're living in North Carolina, and you know, I was getting ready for the game reports to come in that night in El Paso, of course, being in the mountain time zone, it was our one uh, team that, you know, we had to wait usually that extra hour for the games to finish. And I was on the East Coast, so it was fairly late. Um, and I got a call from an El Paso number that I didn't recognize, answered it. And it was a young lady that worked for the club. Um, and she said, you know, is this Kevin? I said, yes. And she said, I've got some, I got some bad news. I'm in an ambulance. I'm with Ron. Um, He's on the way to the hospital. He's he's got hit in the head with a bat, and he's suffered a seizure on the field. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know. And and uh, so I said, well, give me as much information as soon as you can. Um, and what had happened? We had an Australian catcher named Matt Kent, um, big lefty, uh, strong kid. And it had been raining that night in El Paso, and and I didn't see the play. We, you know, back then our games weren't live streamed or anything, but apparently he took a big cut. And the back got away from him, and it got Ron in the back of the head, who immediately went down and, and went into some sort of a seizure. Um, many people might have thought it was alcohol withdrawals, but it was actually a seizure. Um, but uh, so anyway, so I had to call Ron's mom. And uh, so I called, and I forget who I found out from, but they were at Disney World down in Florida celebrating their anniversary. I called and, and, and talked to Sandy and, and I ended up talking to his dad. And it was very, uh, not one of the most pleasant things I've, I've got to do. And Ron was out, what were you out about three weeks with that one, Ron? Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. was, that was pretty, pretty tough. But the good news is you convinced him to wear a bucket from then on out, if I remember correctly. So I did. And the next year opening oh, weekend, uh, <laughs> he's in Sioux Falls and he's working the plate opening night. Now there's a backstory to this, Tim. I had just bought a brand new iPhone, um, and uh, and so we, Ron and I, went to to the store in Sioux Falls to get to get this new iPhone for me, and uh, um, and so I got uh, I got the phone, and we. I, do you remember this, Ron? The guy asked if I wanted the insurance. <laughs> oh, oh, I remember it as if it was yesterday. And so I said, no, I don't want the insurance. So, anyways, there's there's a part of this that relates to that. So about the seventh inning, uh, somebody comes to me in the stands and says, Hey, they need baseballs. And the, the, the club he's new and the bat boy is new. Do you, can you go rub some baseballs? I said, no problem. So I go in, I rubbed a couple dozen balls up and 
Tim, as you know, you've been to Sioux Falls. When you leave the locker room in Sioux Falls to get to the dugout, you take about five steps down, and when you get to that bottom step, you're in the runway, and you can see the field, but you can't see home plate until you get past the bat rack at the end of the tunnel there. And so I'm approaching the bat rack with the two dozen balls that I'm just going to place there, you know, by the bench and get out of Dodge. And I hear this. I can't see the plate, and I hear this uh, horrendous cracking sound. Um, Definitely sounds like something hit plastic. Um, And then I hear a roar from the crowd, like a gasp. So I kind of peek around, and I see a trainer run up the steps, and people are running. I peek around, and Ron's been struck by a fastball. Catcher got crossed up, and he's laying out prone. And uh, so, you know, I, I very rarely would I make an appearance on the field during a game, but at that point I figured I, I probably should go out there. And I went out and they were working on him. Uh, he was conscious and uh, they had called for the ambulance. And about this time they called for the ambulance, my phone rang and it was a new phone. And I had this case and it was what, like a leather case that had like a flap fold over it. So when I went to pull the phone out of the case, it slipped out of my hand kind of like in slow motion, it's out in front of me. And I went to grab it and I actually hit it and it went flying over Ron towards the backstop and it landed on the ground and bounced up into the backstop and the screen broke off. And so I was a little bit more concerned about the phone at that point because it was brand new. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and Ron, Ron ended up at this time or something, right? So Yeah, no. Oh. So Ron and I ended up taking a ride in the ambulance over to the hospital. He checked out. Okay. And, uh, Oh, Ron, help me get the phone. Worse. No, it gets worse. Ron, Ron. The next What's morning, that? he comes to the hotel and he's beating on my door at like eight in the morning, <laughs> just pounding on my hotel door. And I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? Heads yeah. pounding. He goes, hey, get dressed. You're doing an interview. And I'm like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, get dressed. You're doing an interview. And I can barely walk straight. And the whole time that I'm getting dressed in the room, he's sitting there just complaining about his new phone cracking in half. <laughs> the whole time. Doesn't care that I've just been rocked. He's just complaining about this phone. So I finally get down, and I'm sitting in front of this news anchor from Sioux Falls local station. And I'm my head's pounding. It, it's very heavy, and I can't sit up straight. He keeps telling me to sit up straight. And I'm like, you sit up straight. <laughs> so I've got, I can't remember if it was Kevin or somebody in a chair behind me with their back to me. They're holding me by my shirt. Trying to keep me to sit up straight while the guy's asking me questions. And the whole time behind the guy, I think it was Kevin was behind him. He's still sitting there trying to figure out what to do about his phone. Oh, boy. <laughs> we get to, I get through this interview. I'm not happy about it. I've got a concussion. And as soon as it's done, Kevin's like, so what, what are you going to do about my phone? You broke it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I finally had it. I said, take me to Best Buy. And I was on the way to Best Buy. I'm just sitting there, and I'm taking this little two-sided tape, and I'm taping this little flip phone back to where it was. <laughs> and it's still where it can make a little bit of light in there. And I said, yes, we, he just got this phone the other day, and it's not working. I said, we need to get a refund. The light's not. The screen's not turning on. And the guy just looks at me, and he gives it a once-over, and he goes, okay, done. Shuts the phone, puts it in a box, and gives Kevin a brand-new phone. Oh, fantastic. Wow. <laughs> So how many umpires do you know, Kevin, that have the ability to be uh, to make plays that calls at home plate with one shoe on? <laughs> I know one. <laughs> what have I walked into here? <laughs> this is the ambush that uh, that you you were worried about. So uh, take ah, here it is. Story, Kev. So we had a play in Lincoln during the playoffs. I forget what year, Ron. You remember what year it was? <laughs> this would have been. Uh, this was my first year, Kev. Okay, so 2006, Lincoln's in the playoffs. We're in. Ron's working the plate, uh, and there's a there's a. It was a tag up play um, where the third base umpire went out, and Ron dropped third base line extended to uh, line up the tag, and um, as he as he there was going to be a play at the plate, and as he started forward, he stumbled a bit, and when he regained his balance, he went to take a big step with his right foot and his right shoe came flying off and it went straight back and it landed in the second row of the stands there at salt dog stadium in lincoln <laughs> true story roddy yeah unfortunately how did you get back? <laughs> what's that how did you get the chew back uh i called time <laughs> everybody looked at me go what for and i said my shoes over there and i ran over put my shoe on got that on the tied it went back to work <laughs> I mean, I've heard of guys splitting pants, you know, shirts getting snagged, but I've never heard of a guy losing his shoe and going. That is almost impossible. Uh, it really is a shame that we didn't have that on video. 
Well, you know, I also didn't know four-man at the time, so I was lining up a tag play that I probably shouldn't have been lining up. And once I realized it, I started trying to sprint back as fast as I could. Yeah. And the shoe made it to the stand before I ever made it back to home plate. And that's a hard – Lincoln was – I don't know, Ronnie, what stadium that you had the hardest trouble in. I, I could never see in Lincoln. I, I had some of my worst games in Lincoln. Looking off that white stadium, it's right at the University of Nebraska. So you're looking at yeah, – How could you tell, Tim? What's <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, Haymarket Park is a beautiful stadium, but yeah, you do have that football stadium right in the background. And when that sun hits it just right, it can be a little bit difficult to see. I think Ron, Ronnie, you've seen some of my my best work there in uh, in Lincoln. Uh, so, Kevin, in your wildest dreams, uh, did you? I mean, I know that you never expected you know, to, to have that, but you have cultivated an era of giving guys like Ron an opportunity to work in the leagues that you have supervised. And there are dozens, I don't know how many Ron have made it out of puck now, but did did you guys ever foresee, you know, having this ability to change uh, young umpires lives? You know, for me, Tim, and in all seriousness, seriousness, we, you know, we've been joking around and having a good time and, and, you know, for for those two or three incidents we talk about with with Ron there, you know, his body of work in our league and what he did afterwards just was fantastic. But for me, you know, in 2001, the we I was able to hire six umpires out of umpire school, and four of them went back to umpires. All six of them went back. Four of them made it into minor league baseball. Jason Dunn, Triple A. Dixon Sturman, Triple A. Buzz Albert Double A, um, and uh, um, Jesse Redwine made it to Abel. Um, so we were really proud of that first first class. Um, and from then on, we just kind of found a niche. And you know, we've had uh, countless Triple A and Double A umpires. Uh, we've had a couple umpires out of the Can Am League that you know worked for us prior to going into minor league baseball. Uh, Adam Ari and Will Little made it to the big leagues. Um, Never in my wildest dreams did I think that uh, that we would have such success. But what I found was, you know, there there was just no place for young guys to go work when they get out of umpire school. And I wanted to give them a platform where they could go do it in a way where they would be protected and they would be able to learn. There are a lot of leagues out there where guys can go and they can work, but they're they're working with another guy out of umpire school and nobody's really able to be the lead. So. For guys like, you know, to come in and be able to work with former double A AA and triple A umpires or former D1 or, or current D1 and, and, and longtime independent league umpires that know their way around the ball field, it gives them protection on the field. They know if they make a mistake that the Chiefs not going to let them step in it any further. Um, and, you know, it gives them an opportunity to learn and grow and go back and, and, uh, and show the guys down at school what, that they, what they've done in the year or two that they've been away. Um, so, no, to answer your question, never in my wildest dreams that I think we've had this much success. We're extremely proud of everybody that's come through our program, whether they made it or not. And, uh, you know, even more proud of the guys for what they do after they get released. We've got, I mean, I've got a former Secret Service agent, a former umpire that's a Secret Service agent now. Um, you know, uh, uh, we've got guys that have gone on that coach and teach, and they do wonderful things, police officers. So just to be able to have a an effect on their life when they were young men. It, it, it's a, it's a great, uh, 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 great feeling. Ronnie, I heard a little something about uh, protection on the field. I guess I missed that during all my ambulance rides. <laughs> Ronnie, um, at the pro umpire camp, March 3rd through the 10th, you're going to have a lot of guys that didn't make it out of umpire school. Um, can you say something to those guys, you know, right now that, you know, why this camp works for them and just, uh, you know, harken back to all the people it has worked for in the past? Well, I think the thing is, is that they won't believe it until they go through it. I mean, right now you have probably 100 kids at each school that think they're going to make it. They all truly believe they're going to make it. And none of them will see, a lot of them will not see no coming. And they're going to think it's the end of the world, but it's not. Not in your umpiring career. You just got to take it on the chin, keep your head up, and start looking for other avenues. And I believe that this is a great avenue. Um, this, this league has done a lot for a lot of different umpires. I mean, before before uh, I ever got involved with PUC, this this uh, camp was very successful. Uh, I just I hope that could uh, contribute in some way and make it better. But 
to those guys, don't go out of there. If you get told no, don't go out of there with a bad attitude. Don't go out of there thinking, man, this is the end. Don't go out and say, I should have made it. This guy shouldn't have. Don't start bad-mouthing guys because the umpire world is a very small world, and the last thing you want to be flagged as is a bad guy because nobody wants to hire a bad guy and nobody wants to hire a bitter guy. Keep your head up. Listen to the supervisors. There's a reason guys made it. There's a reason you didn't. Listen to what they said your deficiencies are, and if it's something you really want to pursue and it's something that you think you can go back and get, come to one of these camps, come to our camp, come, go find somebody and, and get ready to work and work on your deficiencies. Obviously, we'd love for you to come to pro umpire camp, but I know there's a lot of options out there for guys. But whatever you do, it's not the end of the world, and just keep your head up. Kevin, as a longtime supervisor and an attendee at this camp, do you have any thoughts to piggyback on that? Well, I do, you know, and I look, there are a lot of good camps throughout the country, um, you know, but I've been going to this camp. This will be a 14th or 15th year that I've been going to this camp. And, you know, the, the, the staying power of this camp is something that, that is, is pretty amazing. And, you know, the only other one that I can think around that's been around that long is the Mid-America camp run by Jason Blackburn and Chris Kosky. They do a great job over there. A um, little bit different. They're more tailored towards like the college game, but they do do a great job. Black and blue umpire camp out in the, out in California uh, with Billy Hayes. They're they're really coming on, and they've been around five or six years now, maybe longer. Um, so, but to to be able to to put this product together year after year, they do a great job at pro umpire camp. My suggestion to guys is, and like Ron just said, you, you know nobody thinks they're going to get told no, and and it's pretty. It's, you know, it's disheartening. So, you know, on that day, you know, my suggestion is at that point, you know, be happy for the guys that made it. But my suggestion to everybody is go home, see your girlfriend, see your wife, see your family. Think about what you want to do. Don't rush into any decisions. You know, you have time. Um, You know, our camp starts on March 3rd. There's others that start. I don't know when, but you know, go home and look at the options and uh, make a sound decision because what you're doing, if you don't make it before you go back to school the next year, you want to make sure you protected your investment of this year by going out and get working the best baseball that you can with the best crewmates that you can to put you in the best position to get hired by minor league baseball. And uh, I think with the Atlantic League, the Can-Am League, and the American Association attending pro umpire camp, you know, you're not going to see better baseball than those three leagues. You're not going to work with better partners than those three leagues. And you're not going to make more money in any other league than those three leagues. So that's why I choose to go there every year. And uh, I've been real pleased with the product we get out of there. And and guys, if I could speak, you know, kind of step away of being a host here and kind of speak, you know, for, for everybody's journey is different. For some people, they may need to take a year. Their pro umpire camp experience may need to be in 2020. They may need to, yeah. may need to take some time and just kind of regroup and, and find their own way. One of the things that I've always admired uh, Kevin for, and I've told you this a hundred times, is that while minor league baseball is looking for a specific look, for the most part, they're looking for a look, that Kevin, and I, I can't speak for you, Ronnie, because I don't know how your hiring process will be, but you know, Kevin has always been willing to take guys who may not look the part for minor league baseball, but guys who will get calls right. And because independent ball is a lot different than minor league ball. In independent ball, these teams are trying to win. The managers need to win to keep their jobs. If they don't win, they get fired. Whereas in minor league baseball, as you know, Ron, that you know, they're doing what they're told for the most part. They're playing bonus babies that probably shouldn't be playing. So um, you know, you need umpires, so we're gonna get played right. Yeah, so, you know, for me, you know, all I can say is I would take a chance on a guy, you know, if he had maybe some mobility issues that he needed to work on, you know, I'd have a talk with him and say, are you going to go back? If you're going to go back, you need to make some changes. And uh, if you don't, if there's not significant difference, you know, you're not going to get in. So put the work in and learn what you're going to learn here, and you should be fine when you go back. But I also, look, we we, we hire all kinds of umpires. I mean, I, I... I've got, you know, people that you would never think that, you know, would come out onto a professional field. I hired a guy, I met a guy named Chris Engstrom at Vero a few years ago. He's he's out of Connecticut. He's a police officer chasing that dream. You know, after 25 years or so on the police department, he wants to be an umpire. He goes to umpire school. So I'm at umpire school. The guy's like six, six, he's a policeman. So I know he can handle himself. Um, 
comes into the Can-Am League. I gave him a few games, and he did fine. Um, you know, there's no way that that guy, you know, if, if, if I don't run across him down at umpire school, that he ends up in our league. He also works in the Atlantic League now as well. So, um, you know, if you have a, if you have a want to work uh, independent professional baseball, there is an avenue, you know, and, and, and pro umpire camp is the way to do that. Um, you know, just come down there, put your best foot forward, and good things will happen for you. Ron, any uh, lasting memories of your uh, career in both either either affiliated baseball or minor league baseball uh, that either pertains to Kevin or doesn't? It can be anything you you. you <laughs> oh, the ones that pertain to Kevin I have to wait for the rated R podcast for that one. Um, <laughs> Maybe even NC Seventeen, Ronnie. I mean, no, I mean. My, I had a blast my entire career. Uh, there in a day that I would uh, that I would ever trade. Uh, if I had to do it all over again, I would. Um, it, it was an absolute blast. I think that it's worth pursuing, especially if it's something you really want to do. But not only that, I mean, while, while you're pursuing it, certain guys may figure out it's not for them, and you find your way in life in a different way. Um, you meet a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of connections that you make out there, from parking lot attendants to concession people to hotel to airline. I mean, it. it people in the stands, people at local restaurants. Look, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible journey. It's an incredible trip. I had a blast doing it. Probably more fun than I should have. Um, a lot of people that were around me know that for a fact. Um, and now I just looking forward to helping guys try to try to attain what they want to in their umpire career. Thanks so much, guys. This has been a real, a real blast. Oh, yeah, Tim, it was great. Thank you for there. having me. Yeah. Next time you're going to have Kevin tell my medical history. Could you give me a heads up? Because I wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will. I'm, in, I'm in the middle of trying to get all my fiance's benefits, and that, I don't know if that's going to help me or not. <laughs> uh oh. We'll release. Let's see. We'll, we'll hold the podcast for a couple of weeks, Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. For the American Association supervisor, Rod Teague, and the supervisor of the Canadian American Association, joining us for the tail end of that podcast, Kevin Wynn, and for my broadcast partner, Gil. This is T Mac. Thanks for joining us right here at the plate meeting on Close Call Sports. Until next time, happy umpiring, everyone.